0: Let's take our Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. As we think about mothers, one of the key roles of a mother is to protect her children, to keep them from from harm or from hurt. It's a full-time job for a mom at at any age. Um, When kids are babies or toddlers, it seems that they have sort of a I don't know, an internal magnet that draws them to the things that will hurt them, like light sockets or uh, the corners of tables. I mean, why do – I think every table should just have rounded edges on it. Why do we make tables with sharp corners or maybe pavement? Uh, It was a long time before our girls learned how to play outside. We lived in a condo for so long that when we moved, it was was like they – they just love to fall and hurt themselves. And so moms are are protecting, they're guarding, they're they're trying to make sure that the children are not hurt. And the older kids get, it it becomes they're not falling down and hurting themselves as much, hopefully. Um, but but people are are the the greatest danger, the greatest harm to children. Those that may appear to be their friends and those that, that aren't their friends. And so moms are, are offering advice and and wise counsel, trying to help their children to avoid being hurt, to, to avoid harm. So moms are, are protectors. Moms are, are guardians. I know my mom kept me from doing a lot of dumb things, and I'm thankful for that. She protected me as a child, but even in teenage years, talked to her about a lot. And she was never, uh, my mom always gave her opinion, and usually she was right. And so it was good to have a mom like that. And here in Galatians... And in Galatians as a whole, but even specifically in the verses we're going to look at this morning, Paul appears in this, this somewhat motherly role, uh, this role of guarding and protecting his spiritual children. He guards them from harmful te- harmful teaching that's being hammered into their hearts and into their heads. And Galatians 5, 7-12, um, it, it bears a resemblance to other passages in Galatians. If you're in Galatians 5 and you were to turn back to Galatians chapter 1, <clears throat> we looked at this a, a while ago now, but it's, it's where Paul first addresses what's going on in Galatians 1, verse 6. He says, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say now again, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. you remember those strong words that Paul pronounced against these false teachers? He's, he's trying to guard the, those in Galatia that are being drawn away. He's trying to guard and, and protect them. And then more recently we looked at Galatians chapter 4. And in verses 12 through 20, Paul again is he's he's distressed, he's astonished at what's going on with these spiritual children. And he wants to, to call them back to, to faith in Christ, to call them back to saying that, that Jesus is enough. And even there he says, My children, with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and to change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. And, and here again in Galatians 5, Paul, seemingly for the last time in the book, is, is going to address this issue and express the anguish of his heart and, and really zone, zero in on these, these false teachers and make sure that the Galatians know what is going on and what they are, are trying to do. So before he applies that truth that we were looking at last week, the, the faith working through love, that, that idea that we're sanctified by the Spirit through faith, it, and it is expressed in love. He's going he's to apply those verses in the last part of chapter 5. But here, one more time, he expresses this astonishment at what is going on in Galatia. And he warns his spiritual children to watch out for these enemies of the cross. So if the message of last week was to stand firm in the freedom Christ gives, that was last week, then this week would be stand firm against enemies of the gospel. Stand firm against enemies of the gospel. We might be tempted to, to think that false teachers infiltrating a church or, or getting into our minds and hearts is something that was true back in that day, but it's, it's just it, it doesn't really happen that much in our day, that it's not something we really need to worry about. But we do. Remember, Paul was astonished at what happened in Galatia. He was astonished because they seemed like they were such a solid church, like they were such good Christians, and he is surprised that they've they've been taken away. And so, too, for us, no matter how firm we think we stand in the truth of the gospel, there is the temptation, there is the danger of false teachers, enemies of the gospel coming in and and messing up what is true, of, of changing the way that we think, of, of allowing false teaching and error to creep into our lives. And so if we're too stand firm against the enemies of the gospel, which we all must do. If we're going to do that, then we need to understand who they are, We understand who these false teachers are and and how they operate. So this morning we're going to think about three characteristics of false teachers, three characteristics of enemies of the gospel that Paul talks about here, and then seek to apply those truths to our lives. So in considering these things, we're going to see hopefully how we can stand firm against enemies of the gospel let's read these verses galatians galatians chapter 5 we'll read verses 7 through 12 paul writes you were running well who hindered you from obeying the truth this persuasion did not come from him who calls you a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough i have confidence in you in the lord that you will adopt no other view but the one who is disturbing you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. But I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. I wish that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. Now, I'll be honest, these verses, they seem all over the place. It seems like Paul is just, he's, he, he's kind of... Um, saying a lot of different things in a lot of different areas. And so hopefully as we think about these characteristics of false teachers, of enemies of the gospel, that it will hopefully bring it together a little bit. But the the first characteristic would be this. They They are seeking to trip you up with something small. False teachers seek to trip us up with something small. So he says they're seeking to trip you up with something small. Paul often uses athletic imagery. And such as running in a race, and that's that's right here. Uh, I ran with with Russell and Amy for the first time in a race. I'd never run in a race, and we were in the, the mini marathon. Um, and it's given me a new appreciation for the biblical imagery about running a race and what that what that looks like. Um, so when Paul talks about others hindering you or cutting you off, I, I kind of I I feel like I know what that means a little bit a little bit more. When you're running with, I think there were 18,000 people signed up for that race. I don't think everyone came out for it, but that's a lot of people. Let's just say it was 12,000. I think that's the number that finished. 12,000 people, 12,000 of your closest friends running with you. There's bound to be people that cut you off. There's bound to be people that, that hinder you. You're running and you want to go a certain place, but suddenly there's just this wall of people, no matter how long or how wide the the road is. And there's people that are that are cutting in maybe... For for good reason, or or maybe trying to trip you up, but he's that the people are bound to to get in your way, and that's kind of the the imagery here. He says you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? And and Paul says in this long distance run that is the Christian life, there are false teachers, there are enemies of the gospel who who cut in. They they cut in under the racetrack, just like they did in Galatia, and they they cut people off and they they trip us up. Now, the, I don't think that the people in the race were trying to hinder my progress on purpose. I was not in the running to win the race. Elaine kept asking me the week up bef- before, "Are you going to win?" And I said, "No, I'm just going to try to finish." There are people that there's strategy in long-distance running where people are trying to to set paces and whatnot, but it doesn't it doesn't really say. I, I don't know uh, the false teachers in Galatia were they trying on purpose? To trip people up, or did they think that they were doing what was what was right? Was it malicious, or or were they just so naive they thought that this is what was right, and so they ended up inadvertently tripping people up and slowing their progress? Whatever was going on, they were they were being they were getting cut in on. And what were they hindered from? It says verse seven: You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? So they were hindered from obeying the truth. Paul has has made it clear that our justification, our right standing before God, is founded solely on faith in Christ. But he's also made it clear that that true faith expresses itself in love. We saw that last week, that that faith that is real and genuine finds its expression in, in love, love for God and love for others. Here's a quote from one commentator who summarizes this. He says, Running... A good race in the Christian life means something more than just knowing the truth. It means actually practicing it. What we believe and how we behave cannot be separated. There is an unbreakable bond between theological integrity and spiritual vitality. As John Stott says, our creed is expressed in our conduct. And our conduct is derived from our creed. Christianity is not simply something we know. It is something we do. It is not merely a belief system or a moral code. It is theology that comes to life. So what Paul is saying then is a distortion of our faith, or a distortion of what we believe and of the gospel, had caused the Galatians to not simply be theologically confused, but to be practically disobedient. And such is true for us. If we become theologically Confused. If we're not sure about the truth of the gospel, if some false teaching sneaks in, it's going to affect our obedience. He says, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? The issue wasn't just do you understand the gospel. The issue was now that you're, you're not sure what you believe about the gospel, it's causing you to be disobedient in your walk. And it didn't take much to, to trip them up, just as it doesn't take much to, to trip us up. Some people would say that Paul's making a pretty big deal about this whole circumcision thing, and that it's a—it's just a small tweak on the gospel, and and so it's—it's it's not a really big deal. So he quotes this familiar phrase in verse nine: "A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough." His point, of course, is that that it doesn't take much yeast to cause a loaf of bread to rise. Uh, the American counterpart to that phrase is one. That apple spoils the whole bunch, right? It doesn't take; it just takes that one apple, and the, the whole bunch can be spoiled. Uh, I texted Matt late yesterday and asked him, "Is there a Filipino equivalent to that?" It seems like this is true in every culture, but he didn't have anything. So, um, if you if you know if there is one, let me let me know. But I think it, it's just a truth that 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 we know, right? It's just, it just takes a little bit of something to cause major problems. A little bit of yeast, a little pinch of yeast, causes the whole loaf to rise, and Paul's saying just just a pinch, just a small little bit of false teaching, it, it infiltrates everything, it, it wreaks havoc, it causes problems everywhere. Going back to that imagery of the race, have you ever noticed how it just takes a small crack in the sidewalk to, to land you on your face? It's, it's just little things, and so we have to beware of, of false teaching, of false doctrine, because... It leads to disobedience. And Paul tells Timothy, he says, to watch your life and your doctrine closely. And this is what I think Paul is telling us to do. He was concerned about what the, the, the Galatians were believing. He says it's not from God. Verse 8, this persuasion did not come from him who calls you. This isn't something that God gave you. This is, this is false teaching. This is contrary to what God is telling you to do. It's not in accordance with the gospel that you have been taught. So we have to beware. We have to beware of of little things. We have to beware of making small changes. It's just this little thing. The, 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 The Galatians were being told, you just need to be circumcised and add that to your faith. It seems so small. It seems so insignificant. But what it did is it completely undercut the message that we are saved by grace alone through faith alone, in Christ alone. It added something to that. And in doing that, it poisoned the whole thing. So we need to be aware of these small changes that that will infiltrate. But I think the other thing that we need to be aware of is is making small things big things, of of taking something little that's not a core truth of the gospel and saying, this is is something major, this is something that everyone needs to do. Circumcision and many of the laws, they, they weren't bad. Choosing to obey food laws, choosing to observe a, a strict Sabbath—it's not sinful, but they can become something that we add to the gospel. They become something that that changes and undercuts what we truly believe. A, a Christian church that's distracted from the centrality of the gospel or, or preaches a, a gospel that has a thousand additions added to it, or maybe even just one dish, addition, is is useless because it's not the true gospel we need to be focused on the truth of the gospel and a proclamation of a, of a pure gospel without anything added to it unadulterated truth the truth that jesus christ has come to save sinners who repent of their sins and believe in him alone for salvation with nothing added to it and so this first characteristic is there. there's the false teachers are seeking to trip us up with something small they're seeking to trip us up with something small The next one I think that's here is the characteristic is that they value comfort more than truth. These false teachers value comfort more than truth. Um, Paul says in, in verse 11, But I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. It would seem that some people were saying that Paul was preaching circumcision, that he was saying that you needed to do this. Uh, he was clear about this back in chapter 2. Um, they wanted, uh, you remember it says in verse 3, but not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And so it would seem that some people were saying that, that Paul was was advocating circumcision, and, and it's clear with Titus that he wasn't. The one place that you might go would be in Acts 16, where Paul actually encourages Timothy to be circumcised. Now that seems strange. If he's made such a big deal about no, this isn't necessary for salvation, then why in the world would he say, Timothy, I think that you should do this. It's very clear in Acts 16 that this wasn't a salvation issue. It was a a missionary issue. It it says it was for the sake of the Jews that were in those parts. And especially it comes on the heels of Acts 15, which is the Jerusalem council, where they were very clear that, that circumcision was not necessary for salvation. And so, Some people were saying that that Paul was preaching this, but he says that that he is not. He had preached it in the past, certainly, before uh, before Christ appeared to him and before he understood the truth of the gospel, he was preaching this. But as they said in Acts 15, they had no interest in placing on the disciples of Jesus a yoke that no one, not even them, had been able to bear up to that point. Paul had no interest in preaching circumcision because he knew that it wasn't the truth of the gospel. We had no interest in adding anything to the message that we are saved by faith alone. He says then that, it, that it's obvious that he was not preaching circumcision because he was still being persecuted. He says, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still persecuted? What we can gather from that is that if Paul would have just added this, if he would have just said, we're saved by faith alone, and you should probably be circumcised, then he wouldn't have been persecuted. Who would have just taken this one little thing, this one tiny doctrine that people wanted him to preach, and said, okay, we'll just let that in, and then I won't be persecuted. I won't be beaten. I won't be stoned. I won't be run out of cities anymore. And maybe I can, I can add that, but still keep the truth of the gospel pure. That, that would be a temptation, I would think, wouldn't it? If I'm getting beat in every city that I go to and I'm getting run out of town and I'm a Jewish person going into Jewish synagogues and the the Jewish people there who are my brothers and sisters express hatred towards me because of what I'm, I'm preaching and they say, if you would just add this, Paul, then you can say whatever you want. You can come into all our towns. We won't beat you anymore. We won't stone you. We won't. That would be a temptation, wouldn't it? I know it would be a temptation for me. I know it's a temptation for us. Because the message of the cross is offensive. And that's what's going on here. Paul says he's being persecuted because of, of what he is preaching. It's it's clear in what Joel read this morning. That the message of the cross is offensive to all people. Why? Because it comes into our lives and says you can't do anything to earn your salvation. You can do absolutely nothing. You are saved by faith and that's it and you can add nothing to it but the temptation in our day and age and the, to, to be um, accepted by other people you know someone would say um, I, I agree with everything that you say i just think that you also need to be baptized to be saved and so we want to take that and we want to say well they believe in jesus that they, they believe in having faith in jesus they're just kind of adding this one Small little things. So maybe we can just we can agree with them on that because the core of the truth is there, right? I mean, it's just this little tiny thing. It's just they say, well, you have to be baptized to be saved too. That's just so little. Or maybe someone would say, yeah, I agree with you that we're saved by faith, but I also think that that you need to um, you need to take the Lord's Supper. That that there's something in the elements that that gives you grace when you take communion, and so. We agree. We believe that Jesus came, that he was God in the flesh, that he was the Messiah, and, and, and we're saved by faith. But you, I just want you to add in there that you also need to partake of communion. then we well, go even further, we could say that Jesus, well, they might say he was a good moral teacher, and, and the way that we are saved is just by walking in the path that he has set out for us. The problem is that, that that's not the message of the gospel. Jesus says, whether you think he's a good moral teacher or not, this is what he taught. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. It's through Jesus. It's not through baptism. It's not through the Lord's Supper. It's not through circumcision or obedience to the law. It's not through anything else. It's through Christ alone. There are a thousand ways to preach something that that sounds like the gospel but that adds something small to it that then ruins the gospel. It's like a, just a small drop of poison in a water bottle. The the, the bottle looks clear, but there's just, there's just this one small thing that we add to it, and it suddenly becomes deadly. The temptation, though, is to avoid persecution, to avoid people thinking that you are... Um, that you're too exclusive, that you are pushing people away that, that should be brought in. We, we want to include everyone in the truth, and I do. I, I want those who, who believe in salvation, in Jesus, in the way that I believe Scripture teaches, we want to embrace that. But when people add something to the gospel, then it is no gospel at all, and we have to reject that. But the temptation in our day and age is is to just let these little things in, because it's going to keep us from persecution it's going to keep us from hardship it's going to allow us to be accepted but when we do that we lose the message so if you're here today and you you think well i believe pretty much everything that this church is that this church teaches but i would just add this as something that's that's necessary if you're adding something to the gospel if you're, if you're saying, yes, I believe that you're saved by faith in Jesus alone, but I also believe you need to add this in order to be saved, if you're adding something to it, then, then we do not agree. We do not agree on what the core truth of the Gospels, and that's what Paul is, is trying to say here to the Galatians. But also, for those of us who are Christians, we, we're in this, this society that wants us to just accept everything that we possibly can. And maybe it started to creep into your thinking, you know, that that some of these small things are, are not a big deal. But they are if they undercut the truth of the gospel. This is a delicate balance that we have to strike. There are things that are core truths to the gospel. I've heard it said that there are things that, that we hold with a, with a closed hand, and there are things that we hold with an open hand. And these closed-hand issues are, are gospel issues. They're core truths about how we are saved, about how we come to faith in Christ, about how uh, we are made right with God. There, there are open-handed issues about, you know, just anything and everything that, that's part of, of church life. Um, things like, like the gifts of the Spirit. I can, If someone holds to these core truths, but we have a, a different understanding about gifts of the Spirit, if, if they're holding firm to the gospel, we're brothers and sisters. We may not go to the same church but we believe the the truth about the gospel. And there are a thousand other things we could say in this open hand. But if someone says something that that undercuts this issue, we can't can't have fellowship. We can't agree on that because it's something that is undercutting the entire message. And it might be something really little, but something really little can shake the very foundations of what we believe to be true. And so as Christians, we are called to embrace in many ways the offense of the cross, We're to embrace what 1 Corinthians says, to say, yes, I believe this, and I believe that this is the only way to be made right with God. So there are those that that are seeking their own comfort. These false teachers, they value comfort more than they value truth. Here's another characteristic. This is a, a little bit different than the first two. The third one I would say is that these false teachers will bear their judgment. These false teachers will bear their judgment. Paul does not mince words here. He says in verse 10, I have confidence in you and the Lord that you will adopt no other view but. But the one who is disturbing you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. Kind of like that little add-on there, right? Whoever he is. And then verse 12. Some of Paul's strongest language. I wish that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. Go back to verse 10. We'll deal with verse 12 in a minute. The one who is disturbing you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. He says that the person who is coming in and teaching you false doctrine, you who are true believers in Jesus Christ, he will bear his judgment. He will bear the the penalty of not only for not believing in the truth of the gospel, but also for leading other people astray. That is pretty strong. It takes me back again to, to chapter 1 where he says, whoever is preaching another gospel, let him be accursed. You don't just throw those words around. And Paul is very clear that this person will bear his judgment, whoever he is. Just kind of as a side note, I think it's interesting. Paul seems like he may have known who this person was. And that if you wanted to write his name in here, he very well could have. Could have said, "I know who this guy is," or "I know who these teachers are," and it's so and so. But he doesn't. He knows that they know who it is, and he's 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 okay with just saying, "They will bear their judgment, whoever they are." And you know who they are, and there's no reason for me to be calling out names. I think there's a time to call out names, and there's a time to just say, "You know, it's not even worth me mentioning who they are." Verse twelve, though, is 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 again those strong words. I wish that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves that word mutilate is what I have here in the NAS and there's other words it's it's literally to cut off uh, it's the word that's used when uh, when Peter cuts off Malchus's ear so the the cutting off it's the word that Mark uses when Jesus says if if your right hand offends you cut it off um, it's better to enter uh, heaven missing your hand than to than to go into hell with the whole body so there's different understandings of what Paul is trying to say here. Some would say that he's saying, I wish that they would just be disfellowshipped, that they wouldn't be part of your body anymore, that they would be cut off away from you. And there's others that are saying, what Paul is actually saying here is, remember, what was the core issue? The core issue was circumcision. and He says, I wish that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. We could, some would translate that, I wish that though they would castrate Themselves, that they would go the whole way. One one interpretation or one uh, translation says, "I wish that the knife would slip." And if they're making such a big deal out of this, then go all the way with it. Well, why would Paul say something like that? It seems a little crass, doesn't it? I wish that those who are troubling you, troubling you would even mutilate themselves. He's using strong language because it's it's a major issue. I mean, this is a big problem. If if they are accepting this doctrine, then they are accepting false doctrine, and they are no longer followers of Christ. And he says, I wish that they would just mutilate themselves. Some would say, and I, I think this is the best interpretation that I could find of it is that what he's essentially saying is that they would then be they would then be disfellowshipped. Um, Deuteronomy twenty three one says that that those who are castrated are not allowed into the temple; that they would not be a part of um, of the Jewish temple and so he is in some ways saying I wish that they would mutilate themselves and they would just cut themselves off completely from the worship of God because of what they are doing here it's it's really strong and I think what he's trying to communicate here is that the weight of the judgment of of false teaching it's, it's rooted in the consequences of what that false teaching is accomplishing if they are leading these people who have put their faith in Christ if they're leading them astray if they're leading them to believe something that is contrary to what God has saved them to, then the language is strong. I wish that they would mutilate themselves. I, they're going to bear their judgment, and I wish that they would just be completely cut off. I think the, the the application, if they're going to bear their judgment for what they are doing, it just brought me to mind to say, you know, if we are if we are holding to the truth if we are believing what the gospel has said, then this is not true for us. If we are teaching true doctrine and we are believing true doctrine, we will not bear our own judgment because Christ has has borne our judgment for us on the cross. That Jesus has died in our place, that he is the one who has who has taken our penalty for us. This is a difficult portion of scripture for me to totally understand. But I, I think what, what Paul is doing is he's drawing the attention once more to these false teachers, helping us, us see how um, how bad this is that they are cutting in. They are seeking to trip you up. and it's, it's with little things. Not only that, but they, they don't care they don't care at all for you. They care for their own comfort, they care about avoiding persecution, they care about making sure that they're safe. They don't care about you in the way that I do, willing to lay down my very life for you to be persecuted for the truth of this doctrine and they will bear that judgment it will not um, be pl- it's not been placed on Christ it will be placed on them for what they are doing and what they are teaching you and so for us i think the 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 call is to guard the doctrine to guard the little things to make sure that we're not letting these these false doctrines to creep in and i love what he says in verse 10 i have confidence in you in the Lord that you will adopt no other view so Grace Fellowship Church I think that is the word that I would say to us as we think about this I have confidence I have confidence in you not because of who you are but because of who Christ is I have confidence in you in the Lord and I have confidence in you because we can all be taken away but i have confidence that if you have truly believed this if the holy spirit is is living and dwelling in you i have confidence in you in the lord that you will adopt no other view i pray that this would be true i pray that we would understand how these false teachers work but i also have confidence that if the lord is in us and he is by faith then then we will be guarded against these false teachers coming in tripping us up and so I pray that that would be true. I pray that we would guard against false teaching, enemies of the gospel, to see what they are trying to do, and to avoid it. And in, and we would have confidence in the Lord and adopt no other view than the truth of the gospel. Let's pray together. Lord God. Um, my words feel especially weak this morning, and so I pray that by the truth, by, by your spirit, that you would apply them to our hearts, that you would take what is what is true and helpful and recall it to mind. Lord, there is such a danger. There are so many that are trying to trip us up. There are so many false doctrines in the world, whether it's false religion or or just turning on the television set and being told things that are not true. Lord, and we don't want to be persecuted. We don't want to seek after persecution. And yet, Lord, if we preach the gospel, it is it is offensive. It is, it is grating to those who have not had their ears open to hear the truth. And so, Lord, I pray that we would embrace that, that we would recognize um, that people will not receive it well when we preach the truth. Because it is to our wicked hearts it is offensive but lord that we would hold fast to it but i do have confidence in you in this church that we would stay true to the gospel i pray by the power of your spirit that you would keep us from being an astonishment to others that no one would ever look at our church and say i'm astonished that they have fallen away from the truth of the gospel that you would guard little things from creeping in and attaching themselves to the core of what we believe and thereby distorting and, and changing what we truly believe when i pray for those that maybe are allowing things to creep in that you would guard them against it those who have attached something to faith in you alone for salvation that they would cut those things off and believe in christ alone for salvation i would thank you that you keep us thank you that you Love us, that you care for us, and that you are for us, for that you would guard us against these things. I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.